two weeks, in which time the president will have to make his move. Welcome back. I'm here again with Steve Bassett. Steve, welcome back. Excellent. Glad to be back. Things are happening. Yeah, they just put that drop that bombshell on me with the letter to Arrow. So uh, we went kind of. It seems like the timeline is proceeding apace pretty quickly. Now the letter, the letter. Uh, forgive me. The letter that we discussed in our previous episode was about Arrow. It wasn't to Arrow. That letter right. was from. From, it was uh, higher. Senator Mark yeah. Rubio, Senator Mark Warner to Secretary of Defense Austin and Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines. That's as high a le- letter level you can have. That's historical stuff. Anybody that could get the original of that letter and have it signed by all four of those guys, they'll be able to sell it in about 20 years and put all their kids through college. Okay. So we get to the Senate Intelligence Committee. Okay. Yes. There's another set of hearings where they interview witnesses. What's the, again, pure speculation, what is the timeline between that moment and when the president finally gets out? And then you mentioned a potential spoiler. What's to stop Mr. Putin from uh, nothing sliding right in in between? Nothing? <laughs> He's managed to get himself pretty preoccupied. So I think he's no longer a player here. He couldn't put it off. Xi Jinping would be a more likely head of state. Could be Modi. Could be the the head of state of India. These are big countries, all right? These are Mm -hmm. huge countries with huge amount of people. And and the prestige that would come from the head of state that can end this 76-year-old truth embargo would be enormous. And so if you've got one and a half billion people that you need to have look up at you and view you as leader than doing something historical like that. But for now, it's definitely in the hands of the president. So here is my timeline prediction. I've made others in the past. When I say timeline, I've I've made other projections of possible timelines based upon the circumstances. Obviously, it didn't culminate in disclosure, but that's okay. Keeping people apprised of how things are going and what the prospects are, are important. Because if the prospects are favorable and you tell people the prospects are favorable and we might have disclosure this year, then people are more likely to support it and get behind it and thus create that outcome. But I have never had stronger feelings about this than I have now. And so my projection now, I have more confidence in this particular projection, which is not guaranteed. This is nothing more than a projection, an assessment of a timeline Somebody asks, I know I could just simply, I have no idea, right? It is what it is. No, 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 that's not the way you want it. Here's the timeline. Here's what I think is going to happen. Sometime in the next couple of weeks, two, three, four, five weeks, the announcement will come out. There will be an announcement from the Senate Intelligence Committee. It could be another committee and in the end, it won't matter, but it's almost certainly going to be the Senate Intel Committee, that they are officially, they're going to hold a hearing, a real hearing, regarding UAP issue, right? With cooperation of Arrow, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, to take testimony from individuals who have important information regarding the UAP phenomena, which they're now referring to unidentified 
anomalous phenomena, which matches up very nicely with the all domain anomaly resolution office. You see how they get everything set up nice and sweet. I like it. Okay. <laughs> that will hit like a bombshell. Right. They're not going to say, we intend to hold a hearing in October or next January. No, no, no. They'll announce it and probably they'll announce it out a week ahead of time, 10 days ahead of time. I mean, the announcement for that hearing that they just had, that Gillibrand just had in her armed services subcommittee with Kirkpatrick, I think the announcement of that came out like five days before or something. It wasn't much. So it'll be maybe 10 days. Enough time for every news organization on the planet, every cable news network, every network news operation, every, every news operation that has any ability to get ready and cover it. Set up. You got to get plane tickets. You got to get the crews together. You got to fly to Washington, whatever. I mean, you got, you got to, there's a lot, you got to have some notice. Mm-hmm. Right? And they will come. And those hearings will get underway in front of the Senate Intel Committee about 10 days after that announcement. And they're not going to start off with the weakest witnesses that are available, meaning let's start off slow. Here is a secretary that was once worked for so-and-so back in 1983 and saw a memo, whatever the hell. No, absolutely not. They're going to start off with the best stuff. I believe, I know that a number of witnesses to the nuclear weapons tampering events have been interviewed. I know some of the pilots have been interviewed. I know a lot of other people have been interviewed. I don't even know who they are. God knows. And that's the ones that have been formally interviewed by Arrow. The number of people who have been on the Hill giving briefings, I say people, witnesses types, witnesses. Is unknown, but that's been going on for three years. And Christopher Mellon has been the principal manager of that process, not the only one, but I think he has been key. He he eventually will get recognized for what he has done here, which has helped set the political basis for all of this. I imagine he's going to receive some very substantial accolades and rewards for this. He's done an unbelievable job. And these nuclear weapons tampering witnesses are going to sit down there under oath. Why military witnesses? If you're going to hold the hearings that are going to end the truth embargo, and you know that untold millions of people are going to be watching, and every news entity in the world is going to be covering it, they better be good, they better be powerful, and they better be the truth. And so there are no better witnesses in that regard. And it's also national security than military witnesses. These are men and women. It'll be almost all men, but there might be one or two women. These are men and women who signed up to serve the United States of America. They took an oath when they did that. Over their career, they may have taken some other oaths. right? Mm -hmm. And then when they sit down in front of the Intel Committee, they take another oath. To tell the truth, otherwise face the penalties of perjury. And when it comes to perjury, it all depends on the setting. You can commit perjury in in some sort of a trial in which somebody being charged with petty theft or something, and you get up on the witness stand and say something untrue, that's perjury. Could end up in 
you getting a slap on the wrist. You commit perjury in front of the Senate Committee on Intelligence regarding a major national security issue with millions of people watching and the press covering it and embarrassing the hell out of everybody. You are going to pay for that perjury. Trust me, to the maximum extent of the law, but they don't want to. And so what these people are going to tell the truth. And a lot of people are going to say, no, they're not. No, they're not because it's national security and and, and they'll have to lie. No. Or they'll just say they're crazy, right? Or the the old hack. Anybody that says they're crazy is a fool and an idiot. And I don't care about them. Don't want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Now, let the critics say what they want. I'm not interested. Now, what people have to understand, right, is the way these things are done. There may be a witness, and again, it's witness, not whistleblower. They are not whistleblowers, period. You will not hear the committees talking that way. You will not hear the senators talking that way. That is not what they are. They are witnesses. Whistleblower has an entire different connotation. And I assure you, if you work for the United States government, you do not want to be called a whistleblower in public. Even if you are a whistleblower, you would rather not be told. Your life doesn't get better. Right. right? You're put in a basket with a bunch of other people that have had very difficult times. You are a witness bringing some truth forward that will be useful to the United States Congress. Okay. So the nuclear witnesses are going to testify to firsthand experience where they were on SAC base facilities managing nuclear weapons ICBM flights and a thing comes down and has hovered near and or over the flight and turned all the missiles off. Or there was a coincidence where the missiles all turned off, which had never (laughs) happened before, and it just happened to happen with a thing hanging over the, the, which then flew away. Simultaneously when they were not linked together. Right. Right. And that's, they're going to tell the story. They submitted affidavits on this or tried to to Congress and to the media years ago, no later than 2010 and maybe sooner. This is a set of affidavits from nuclear weapons tampering witnesses that were submitted and been out there since no later than 2010. What's that, 13 years? And they've been trying to get on in front of Congress in a congressional committee hearings for longer than that, 20 years. First affidavit, Bruce Fenstermacher. Right. Okay. Second affidavit, Raymond Fowler. Affidavit. Whoops. And it, and it has the complete history of what happened, right? And some of them are very long. This is a particularly long one. Affidavit, Robert Jacobs to the famous event where the ET flew in and knocked a dummy warhead off one of our missiles. Just, you know, just flew in and did that. No big deal. I mean, anybody can do that, right? Affidavit, Robert C. Jameson. All right. These are all former officers now. Mm-hmm. Affidavit, Jesse Marcel. Mm. That, of course, is too, Roswell. Affidavit. Is is he still alive? No. Bradford Runyon, affidavit. Let's see what else? Robert Salas, mm. who is Malmstrom. not just a witness. He's, a, he's He is an activist. I mean, he has been an activist on this issue for years. 
David Schindel. Okay. Appa David, Charles Halt. That's Rendlesham. Yep. I think two of these men are dead. The truth embargo was able to outlive them. But the rest are alive. Let me be really clear. If five or six or all of those men sit down in front of the Intel Committee and they provide the testimony just in those affidavits, which have been around and available to journalists for 13 years, the media will literally go, <clears throat> all right, because it completely legitimizes the single most national security concern that they would rightfully have. Mm -hmm. Meaning there are things out there that fly around in craft that we can't build that can turn off nuclear weapons in a way we can't do, right? And so two things have just been established and one is favorable to the government and one's favorable to us, the citizens. One, this is a legitimate national security matter because they can turn our nuclear weapons off. And two, they're here. All right, you see where I'm going here? Everybody wins. Now, does that mean that from there it just goes to, okay, the next witnesses will be talking about our new super laser program where we can knock these things out of the sky very soon. It'll only cost about $14 trillion. No, no. Most of those witnesses are of a mind, and I know this for a fact, that, yeah, they turned our nuclear weapons off, not as a threat to us, but as a warning to us. All right. And then there's the pilots that have had the sightings and on and on. These hearings will begin. They will be some of the highest rating things ever seen on TV ever. They will be worldwide. I'm sure there's going to be people translating them in some of the foreign press. I think that will take two weeks. We've had a lot of hearings. I think there was like three years of hearings on Benghazi and there, mm -hmm. there was like many, many, uh, you know, number of hearings and so forth, respect to 911. Benghazi was, I think, not that big a deal. 911 was more important. This is a thousand times more important than both of those together. All right. Mm -hmm. okay. Two weeks in which time the president will have to make his move. That soon, that fast. Absolutely. Because the testimony wow. is absolutely conclusive, right? They're not going to bring on some idiot debunker from Twitter and say, well, uh, idiot debunker, <laughs> what is your take on the testimony of these nine former SAC base officers? And well, I know it could have been uh, a power outage, maybe in uh, one of the local towns or some kids, you know, got over the wall or maybe some rats chewed through some wiring or something. I mean, there's all kinds of like, no, we're not going to do that. And so essentially within two weeks or less, the number of people in the United States, the number of journalists working in the United States without getting into other countries, it's going to go from this many, no damn well, this thing is true, to that many, no, it's true. And that's the balking. And so now the president has a decision to make. Am I going to play dumb on this? 
regardless of what the president knows, and I'm sure that the president knows a lot more than we think he knows, okay? He knows he has virtually stepped out of this, and that's fine. But nobody knows what the presidents know in full about anything. And that's the true about the ET issue going back. Every president since from Truman on has known there's, quote, an ET presence. It's just a question of what they knew, how much they knew, what they wanted to know. Right. Right. And that includes Biden. So the question Biden has, look, so the world is immediately coming to, to understand. Yep, that's it. That's it. Absolutely. It's true. It's true. It's true. And how long is he going And, and we're going out? right into an election year, too. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. So he's got to make a move. He can't just sit back and, well, you know, maybe another 20 or 30 witness. No. As soon as they understand that the point has been made, the die is cast, game is over. They have got to move and move quickly. And so he will bring some of the Pentagon people in to the White House, Oval Office, they will meet, they will have a nice discussion. He'll bring in key leaders from both parties into the Oval Office, they will have private discussions. And they will all agree, yep, it's time. We're behind you, Mr. President. This is a nonpartisan issue. I don't think any of the Republicans leaders that were, will be brought in to speak about this are going to say, well, you know, you know, Biden, uh, you know, we're going to fight you on this. Or, you know, you know, it's political. Yeah, this is like the only bipartisan issue there is, exactly. or one of the few. They're happy to support you, Mr. President, just as they would likely do if we, well, I don't want to go there. So anyway, they're going to, we support you. And then the president is going to be able to come out in front of the, like the American people, he'll either do it from the Oval Office as one of those Oval Office things. You've seen that, right? They sit behind the desk, a resolute desk, and there's a, and, they, and they give you this thing like Kennedy did for the Cuban Missile situation. But that's not the way to go. This needs to be a press statement. Should it be in the press room? Not big enough. It needs to be in a room that I, I was in a number of times. I attended to press conferences in this room, East Room of the White House. It's a big room. And then there's this hallway. It's called Cross Hall. And people have seen it. They didn't, make, they didn't know what it was called. But when the president comes out at the end of Cross Hall and they get in front of this podium, you can see this hall behind him, right? Goes way back. Mm -hmm. And then they'll get done. They'll turn around. That's called Cross Hall. He'll walk out at the end of Cross Hall, get up on the podium, and the whole East Room will be filled. It can handle, I'm thinking about 150 reporters. Could be that many. It'll be full, all right? But believe me, there'll be more reporters that want to be in that room that can be in that room. But they will try to be representative and they'll try to have the right ones and they'll have a certain number of international reporters. And he will step to that podium and he will say something like this. I wish the American people to know that I've been watching these extraordinary hearings along with you these past couple of weeks. Testimony is compelling. And I have, as a result, met with the Secretary of Defense and other top officials, national security you know, heads and agency heads. I've also met with Congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle. And we've discussed this testimony. 
and we have all agreed that it is confirming. And therefore, I am able to say to you today that the, the phenomena that is being discussed is of non-human origin. The technology that is being discussed is non-human made from somewhere or from other planets, depending upon how much they know. If they know they are extraterrestrial, they would be foolish not to say so. Because if they don't know, and I can't believe that, but I, I could be wrong. But I mean, if it were the case, they did not know. Mm -hmm. They could say from somewhere, meaning, and there's not too many options, okay? From another planet, from the future, from the inner earth, or from another dimension. I mean, these are it, okay? As far as I know, there aren't any other options beyond that, all right? So, however, I know the government knows more about the ETs than I do and knows more about the current developments of, of physics than I do, but I know enough, and also just history in general, I, but I certainly know enough to say with high confidence that the chances of the ETs have always been here all along, living in caves or the inner earth is minuscule to the point of nothing. The chances mm. of them being from the future is extremely unlikely remote possibility the chances of them being from another dimension is also extremely unlikely but not zero but the overwhelming likelihood is they're from another planet all right now that's a lot of to say right so if they're not convinced already don't know I mean, they, they were able to communicate with the Roswell alien that survived. I mean, they could ask him, where are you from? He said, well, we're... But interestingly enough, assuming one enjoys ancient aliens like I do, I love ancient aliens. I think it's done a huge service to the American people. I know that there are archaeologists out there that if they happen to see ancient aliens online, they run screaming for the Rome. I understand that. Ancient aliens is not a PhD class in archaeology per se. Though, yeah, but the PhD's got Globecki, Globecki Tech, I can't say the name. Globecki Tech, yeah. Uh, yeah, they got that wrong, a, right? There are many things that have been discussed and, and speculated about in ancient aliens that will prove to be totally Earth-oriented, meaning it's, there's an explanation that's nothing to do with But I think ancient aliens have sufficiently made the case that ETs have been around for a while. Now, if there was no extraterrestrial presence today, no Roswell, no phenomena, no millions of sightings, all of the stuff that makes up this issue had never happened. And somebody came up with a show and they're going back in the past and saying, you know, based upon what was happening there and there and there and that, 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 that there was, it, it would be like, really, come on, give me a break. But once you know the ETs are here now, and I know that, and a lot of other people know that, then going back in the past and looking at this evidence, a whole different ballgame. And so ETs have been coming and going. Which ones, same ones, I don't know. But in terms of the what I would call exo-archaeology or even exo-history, 
if you accept that there's validity there and you seriously consider some of the stronger evidence, the ETs in the past have told our ancient ancestors they came from out there, right? They told them, you know. I mean, you know, these ancient astronauts probably did. They didn't. The ancient uh, civilizations didn't really understand too much about the galaxy or physics or anything else. But you know, it's like we come from up there, right? yeah. Okay. And <laughs> well, so, it's the sky people, right? right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're from up there. You know, they, they didn't tell them. Oh, we come from another dimension. We live right next to you in another dimension. No, they never said that. And so when you add it all up, they're, they're from another planet. I think the government knows that. And if the government knows, now, is it possible it's all four? Got a little inner Earth ETs, got some dimensional ETs, time traveling ETs, whatever. Got a lot of all four. Again, it's possible. But if the government knows that they are from another planet, it would be extremely wise if they confirmed it. In other words, this is non-human technology and non-humans engaging us from other planetary civilizations. That is disclosure. That is what I would expect and hope the president would say at the end of Cross Hall, a couple of weeks after those hearings start. So that puts disclosure mid-summer to late summer. Okay. Now, some people- By the say, way, John Ramirez, former CIA retired. This timeline is very consistent with yeah, some of the I, things he said recently. I met yeah. John just recently, had a nice chat with him. I need to spend more time with him. He's one of many people that are on my list of boy, if I could just get things more together, I want to start really spending time with some of these people because there's just there's a wonderful array of people that are engaged. I would love to chat with them if I knew how to get a hold of them, but that's neither here nor there. Hey. It's anything that's possible. You certainly could have him as a guest. He probably would say yes. Get in touch. So what are the other factors in terms of my timeline considerations? Here, look. Given how close we are, given how much pressure is building up on the government, and given the government's actions, like the letter that I read in your last episode, right? from Warner and, and Rubio to Austin and Haynes. They have a choice. Get this done this summer, right? Before the interminable, ridiculously long, unbelievably too expensive election process begins in America, where we spend billions of dollars to get government almost no better than the government we had before, kind of shifting back and forth between, it's a, and it's an absurd process that absolutely has to be reformed, or we're going to really ruin the country for everybody. But it, so it starts early, because they got to start raising all that money, billions of dollars to get elected, the jobs that pay between one hundred and eighty and two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You can not get this done. But all this stuff is still moving forward, right? The, the process is still moving forward. The interest is growing. The arrow is doing its thing. And then these people are running for Congress, and, and for the Senate and the House and the presidency in a world in which the still thing is still hanging out there, right? right. I don't know yet. Maybe one day, candidate so-and-so. What is your view about arrow? Uh, you know, I mean, what, what is your view about ETs? I, I, you know, 
we can't, and, and, and they're not going to tell us what they really think. They're not going to tell us what they know. They're not going to tell us they even care. And so all these people are running for Congress in which the most important issue in the world is really off the table. They really can't speak to it. And so once again, we're sending people off to, to represent us without really knowing what they know about an important issue. Well, guess what? That's pretty much how we've always done it, right? They give us a bunch of BS and lies. We buy the BS, we put them in office, and they do whatever the hell they want. And that's working so well for us, you know. Just, <laughs> things going so well for the United States and, and the world, and all our problems are being solved, and the wars are going away, and the nuclear weapons are being dismantled. Yeah, it's working so well. But here is an opportunity to depart from that particular approach. So that would be one way this works out. The whole issue will just sort of be there, like it kind of was in the Hillary Clinton campaign when I went to a lot of effort to really force her hand and Podesta's hand and force them, literally put them in a position where they had no choice. That's a whole thing that that's called the election campaign. It's on my website. It was all operated out of Washington. It was, you know, grassroots. But I, I knew how to do it. And so I ended up doing the work along with my publicist, who is a legend in this town and knows everybody. We ended up generating 400 articles, 400 articles in the media about the connection between the leading candidate for president, Secretary Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton, and the UAP issue. And they're going on TV and talking about it. It'll be kind of like that, even more nebulous in a way, as we go in and, and everybody may be having to say something, but whatever, and it's all going to be utterly stupid. <laughs> it's going to be people who really can't say what they really know and what they think, and they're all going to look like idiots. Or get the hearing, get the announcement, confirm the ET presence this summer, and now everybody who's running for Congress and the Senate, hell, governor, state houses, every election candidate, and there are thousands of them, in the coming 2004-24 election cycle, will start from day one knowing that the issue of an extraterrestrial presence has been resolved. We are not alone. And therefore, they are completely free to say whatever they think about that and be candid and what know about it in many cases. And so it will be uh, candidate so-and-so. What's your feeling about the way the president is dealing with this new confirmation of an ET presence? Is Arrow set up the way you like it to be? What are your national security thinking on that? Are the ETs a threat? Blah, blah, blah. And the, the person is going well. Maybe the person has got a military background, a science background, and they're giving very lucid responses to this. And the public is going, oh, thank you. Right? And not only that, but because this issue is so obviously nonpartisan, even the craziest partisans out there, and we've got some crazies. I mean, these, these are people that need to be rounded up and taken to a safe place. All right. Are not on both on both sides. And I think we know they can't partisanize this. They don't know how, and they can't. It is a totally yeah. nonpartisan issue. And so it allows all these candidates to address something that transcends politics and say intelligent things. It is a gift to every freaking candidate that's running for office. 
And so if President Biden is able to get this done this summer, he gives them this gift. The gift is to the entire American people. We're going to have campaigns in which the most profound event in human history can be talked about frankly and candidly and openly and intelligently without political bias. And people might enjoy this election. They might even go, wow, that was a great election. Man, did I enjoy that. Everybody wins. You don't get disclosure done this summer, and it's just going to be another friggin' shite storm. You know what I'm saying? So that's plus the they, reason why my time frame is this summer. Plus they need, I think summer works too, because they need some amount of time to handle some of the thornier issues and questions. So number one, well, yeah, is there going to be compensation for people who may have been abducted? Good point. Look, what about uh, sharing technology with, yeah. uh, you know, giving an advantage to, I don't know, Lockheed Martin, Boeing? And what about this other co- company that didn't get the same advantage and went bankrupt? There's a, a lot problems. of, yeah. But but you made a very good interesting point. Very good point. Okay. And this is particularly true. Now, this, this is somewhat of a partisan point, but I, I don't want to overemphasize it. Right. All of the people that are currently in office, right, already, many of those will be running for office. And what I just said applies to them. But the ones that are already in office now, particularly the ones that have been in office for a long time, and we do have a lot of that, mm-hmm. much of that, they have a separate issue to deal with. All right. If they're running, okay, they're going to be able to speak to it as part of their campaign. But depending upon how quickly we get disclosure, probably even before their formal campaign gets underway, they're going to be in questions from the, the journalism and from maybe even their constituents. The president just confirmed that this phenomenon is actually extraterrestrial. You never ever said anything about that. Did you know? You're on the such no, a, po- a politician has plausible, you know. Oh, I was I didn't have access unless they were on the the Senate Intelligence Committee. Well, they can, which... well there's a lot of committees. I mean, there, there's the Armed Services right. Committee, there's Intelligence Committee, there's the Homeland uh, Security Committees. Believe me, there's a lot of members of Congress on those committees. But even if you were on the Agricultural Committee, right, you're representing the government. You are an important person. Did you know? And they may be able to say, "No, I had no idea." They may have had cattle mutilations in their state yeah, or whatever. whatever. But if, if, right. if you really didn't have it, no, because it just wasn't in your radar, you can say so. But if you did, you see the problem, don't you? And so they have another set of problems. And that's another reason why the sooner they get it done, the more time these already serving politicians have to formulate how they're going to address the post-disclosure questions. And obviously, a lot of those are going to be members of the president's party. And so by getting it done early, he is giving his own party's candidates time Mm -hmm. to deal with some tough questions. And of course, he's giving the other party's candidates as well. But if he doesn't get it done, everybody's screwed. So again, it's a gift. It's a but it's a nonpartisan gift. So both parties will recognize, boy, that was helpful. Thank you so much, President Biden. So they have, yeah, they have another problem. I imagine there will be a number of candidates who plan to run 
maybe even have sort of started the initial campaign process that have been in office, that if this announcement goes down, they will choose not to run. They will say, look, I knew this, I knew that. I did, I did what I felt was right, but I would rather not have to answer those questions and in another candidacy, right? The truth embargo was a tough call. And I'm sure that there will be those that will answer those questions. They will say things like, yes, I was briefed on that 22 years ago. I was briefed on that this then. I knew this. I knew that. It was national security. I felt it was appropriate. It wasn't my uh, role to do that, but I have certainly you know, kept up on it. And I still want to be your senator. I still want to be your member of the House. Some will do that. Others, will, I think some will say, I, I don't want to. We'll say, what, what is I have a choice? They'll have a choice. Yeah, I, I, I think they're going to have to work through some legislation to protect, you know, so like Lockheed Martin doesn't go bankrupt based on shareholder lawsuits from, you know, like things like that, that you just kind of start with a blank slate, forgive, well, you know. Yeah. You yeah, I know what you're talking about. Look, there's, yeah, there's going to be, well, this is America. <laughs> okay, so yeah. And some people are going to be suing people. I mean, there's going to be some, there's going to be some lawsuits. There's going to be some, there's going to be some anger and some, some frustration and some lawsuits and so forth. And that's going to be part. Well, you know, what can I say? So what? Now that's, that's that's the dark side of America. Okay. But but, the positive side of it though, might be that instead of fighting, not only internally here, but fighting like the fighting in Russia, Ukraine, things like that, we now have, a new direction to look, right? Well, that gets into more... an interesting area we can go into. Let me we can go into that later. Let me we can talk about that. But let me just say this: that yeah. the message I'll be putting out on CNN and MSNBC and all those other wonderful networks because they're going to call you. You actually network. might be better on some YouTube channels that have more. Well, I'll do it all. Believe I'll do it all. Right. right. Hey, I'm, 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 I have many podcast friends and I'm not going to forget them. So I don't care what happens. You call me up, I'll do your podcast. The point is, is that disclosure triggers a new world. I call it the post-disclosure world. It's a paradigm shift of unprecedented level. It's beyond description. You can't describe it. It's an opportunity to fix stuff. It's an opportunity to rethink. It's an opportunity to do a lot of things. Doors will be opening all over the place that were locked before. And so to the extent that we focus on how are we going to fix and reform, improve the lot of the human race in a post-disclosure world really is where we need to be focusing our attention and not on how many freaking lawsuits we can file or how much we want to bitch and moan about how things went and didn't go and all that. We need the historians to definitely turn their attention and start doing a whole lot of history on, on from 1947 to and rewriting it yeah and we need a new show called modern aliens okay history modern aliens okay they can do 400 well, i mean there's even i mean there's i mean like you're gonna have exobiology you're gonna have exoarchaeology you're gonna have all entirely new fields if this happens so ancient aliens was very successful but they need to do the modern aliens and in history channel i did ancient aliens a few times if you decide to do a huge series called modern aliens I'm available. Call me. Right. But history needs to get in there and they need to get it out. We need to ultimately know the whole history of this. That's important. But litigating it or bitching and moaning about it, we're not going to have time for that. 
in the post-disclosure world, there is going to be a to-do list that's impressive. <laughs> there's no refrigerator large enough in the own planet to, to handle. Well, the and, and there's risks too. Let's say we do have some zero-point energy technology, right? Well, what happens to everybody who's employed in the fossil fuels industry? We're not fossil fuels, but the energy industry. There's going to have to be thoughtful programs about transitions and detransitioning from old economies to new economies. We and have to doing adjust, it in a way. adapt, and fix. Ref adjust, adapt, AA, reform, and fix. So AARF. We have to do all those things and use common sense and do it nonpartisan, right? Mm -hmm. And not even non-nationality. In other words, the post-disclosure world has got to be addressed on a global basis. And everybody needs to benefit to the extent that there is any benefits. And everybody needs to know to extent that there's things that everybody needs to know. And there's a thousand different threads we could pick and I could respond to any one of them. And I'm happy to do that. You brought up one, fossil fuels. Well, this way. One of the more recent developments is that, and, and again, this is why I know my timeline, I think is pretty solid is that there have now been a number of references by people at a high level to crash retrieval project, right? So the idea of crash retrievals is fully in play. Gary Nolan, Nobel Prize nominee, is said it, right? So pretty soon crash retrievals is, and, 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 and crash retrieval will be on the, the list of witnesses. There's gonna be witnesses testifying about crash retrievals at these hearings, okay? Oh, interestingly so, enough, I have him on the books to talk to me in June, so. Excellent. excellent. And so hopefully not, he's not overwhelmed by events by that point, but. And crash retrievals means tech and tech means re-engineering and re-engineering leads to what did you find out? What have you re-engineered? What's, what have you got? Which leads to one of the top five difficult questions. Remember I mentioned that before top five difficult questions. Yeah. Why don't you so share any kind of formal relationship with the ETs guys, treaties, understandings, you know, collateral agreements, right? Are you holding some of their deposits in our banks, whatever. Another one is, has any technology that could, had it been available for full access in the public domain, that could have seriously improved our issues here, how we're, you know, not just US. Or saved lives, world. like healing technology, right? Has any of that been suppressed and unavailable on the basis of the truth embargo's national security status. Any? Okay. Now, if there is none, and that's the truth, I would be disappointed. It would be a good thing because, okay, we're not going to have to bitch about that. That's not going to become a thing because it will be a thing, right? It won't be a huge distraction. But on the other hand, I'll be disappointed because I want them to have that. I mean, I want them to be there and then I want it out. Okay. Right. But, and so, so let's say that's the case. Boy, that's one of those tough questions. And people are going to get pretty upset about it. And, and some are going to focus on that obsessively and others are going to focus at, okay, now we're going to be able to get this technology. Yes. Okay. What are we going to do with it? So now a simplistic example would be a major energy breakthrough no question all right a technology 
that was re-engineered from the, the craft, which generates energy in a way that is far more effective, cheap, highly effective and cheap, and non-polluting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, boy. And so if that technology, they do have it. And the truth embargo allows it to be released with caution. Because we'll assume it's a, a powerful technology and therefore we don't want it weaponized. And people say, well, then that's why it has to be secret. No, we weaponize everything, right? And so right. the idea, you know, we, we weaponize the atoms. Would it have made a difference if somehow atomic technology had been classified and nobody knew about it, but the government that is still built the damn bombs. The point is, is that, yeah, this time as a part of the new way of working in a post-disclosure world, yeah, we've got this extraordinary technology and we won't weaponize it. Okay, we'll go to great measures to make sure it's not weaponized. So that technology is available. And it allows us to drop the price of moving an electron from A to B. 99%, meaning one penny on the dollar. There's no such thing as free energy. But let's just say that the cost of moving an electron from A to B drops from a dollar to a penny. All right. And essentially, all the energy issues in this world basically result in moving electrons around. It just depends on how you move them, all right? Whether it's water going through a dam and swinging a turbine, or whether it's a nuclear reactor boiling water to spin a turbine, whatever, it all comes down to moving electrons. The economic impact on the world would be profound, okay? Think of how much money would be available to the world's people if the cost of moving that electron and generating their air conditioning and heat or whatever the hell they do, cooking their meals, dropped 99%. That frees up all that other money to spend on other things they might need. And then, okay, I mean, that's pretty straightforward, right? And so that's a massive economic benefit to our capitalistic world. Then, but then they in say, the long oh, term, in the long term, but in the short well, term, it depends on how fast they 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 do it. I mean, look, yeah, let me tell it you, it could cause massive inflation, right? No, so no, not inflation. No, 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 no. The cost of energy goes down. The cost of producing stuff goes down. Making stuff goes down. It lowers the prices. It, 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 let me put it this way: dropping the cost of moving mm-hmm. electron from a dollar to a penny. There's nothing bad about it. It's so good. It's almost too good. It's just incredible. All right. Overnight. Now, if you say, oh, no, if you had to do it over a period of, say, 500 years, it wouldn't matter because we won't make 500 years. The place will be a hell on earth. I'm talking about doing it within maybe a decade or less because Mm -hmm. there will be a Marshall program, right? A what do they call it? Marshall. But anyway. It would, the Manhattan be, Project or Marshall Plan. Was the, or, it'll be a moon launch program of unbelievable proportions and global size to ramp that up as fast as possible. I mean, they will throw everything at it. Okay. But then there's the downside. All the people that make a living in the oil industry, right? Oil and the gas industry is no longer needed to move that electron. Well, two things. In terms of the companies, don't worry about the companies. All the oil companies are richer than God. They got so much. Yeah, they'll money get on. They'll get on the racket at the same. Yeah, yeah they they'll get in on it. Billions right. of dollars. Okay. And so suddenly, right. their fundamental source of income 
which is selling oil at a ridiculous price to pollute the world, is, goes starts going away really fast. And they take all of those assets and all that other money that they have. You know what they do with it? They reinvest they, it. In this. They invest in all the countless companies and startups that are going to emerge when the price of energy drops 99%. In other words, the opportunity to create businesses and do stuff will just explode and they'll be investing in all of it. And before you know it, all the people involved with this, the, the shares and stocks and energy companies will be even richer 12 down the line. Now about the employees. Okay. Well, if I'm the government, and I see the benefits are coming because this energy is going to transform the country and, and provide enormous economic implications and everything and business and opportunities. I immediately move to make sure that everybody working in the industry is going to be just fine. All right. In other words, well, first of all, the reason free energy is not free. If you had a technology that allowed you to move an electron without polluting anything much easier and much greater force, because of extraordinary technology that you garnish. You still have to build the systems to do yeah, it. The infrastructure, right. Okay. I mean, there's, there's got to, whatever it is that they got, you got to build it, right? You got to build. And this idea of having little things in their home, that may be true. A little device in your home provides all the electricity you ever need. You still got to build hundreds of millions of them, billions of them, right? But then in terms of industrial use, you've got to build big plants. And so huge numbers of workers in the industry will be shifting over to that infrastructure, right? And they should have actually priority on that. Yeah, and you won't be able to build that stuff fast enough. So the wages would, well, again, (laughs) some wage, because you wouldn't be able to hire enough people quickly enough. So you'd have to pay them a ton of money, which is good for them. The the paradigm shift post-disclosure is going to generate so much income and money and resources and, and wealth. It's harder if the technology is there, if it is there. Now, that's the one we're most interested in. The anti-gravitic technology, of course, is also pretty profound. And it appears that we've re-engineered it based upon what I know. And we can fly our versions of it around. Now, there's all kinds of cool things that come from that. Mm-hmm. And not to mention being able to cruise around the solar system, perhaps a lot easier, which means we could you know, set up starbucks on mars well we uh, solve the resource problem too with all the asteroids uh, that's right and then we can access resources right. in the asteroid which would be incredible though the price of gold could end up dropping to you know a dollar a dollar a pound but whatever again there will be some winners and losers in the post-disclosure world i assure you as it evolves but it's not going to be like that and i will be happy to help advise people about look you know if anti-gravitics is true and they can go mine a- asteroids full of gold, you may want to consider your gold. I'm ready to raise money for a VC fund based on this. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be around that long, but yeah. there are plenty of people that are. But the point is, is that there will be winners and losers. But to the extent that the government is telling the truth and straight up and we approach it in a straight up way and we approach it in a fair and just way, we can minimize the amount of losers and maximize the amount of winners. And a perfect example of this is that if, in fact, energy tech emerged from out of the truth embargo that could be ramped up to replace oil and gas completely and and generate electron movement at one cent on the dollar i would say look as that is happening as that industry replaces the old one 
that everybody in the old industry, the workers, the employees, I'm, and I'm not worried about the stockholders and the, the executives, they're already richer than God. Point is that all the workers should have priority in building the new infrastructure. They should be given a priority, all right? Why not? Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can, it's just a simple example of how to minimize the number of people that lose from this paradigm shift. There's always people that lose. Everybody in the horse and buggy industry took a hit when the combustion engine turned up, all right? So you had a certain amount of time to get out of that business and get into the car mm -hmm. business or whatever the hell you wanted to do. And there is countless examples of that. We've seen it all the time. All right, what can I say? All right. But that doesn't mean that it can't be minimized. It's a matter of the American people's will to be fair and just. And so the benefits there. So that's just one example. I don't want to kill that to death. So fire me another question. What do you got? Religious implications for oh, people, for large religious in institutions. And I'm sure there may be some awkward questions. Let's say, again, I'm speculating. Yeah. Let's say we were a genetically engineered species. Now, wait a minute. Hundreds That's of thousands of years question. ago. Okay. You know, <laughs> religious question is one. Genetically engineered species question is another. Let's just stick with the religion. But, 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 but let's, let's, say, let's say that's the reality. And yeah. that has to, that will have a reconciliation with religion. Well, now, again, disclosure is nothing more than confirmation of the ET presence. The post-disclosure world is going to be initially about finding out what the government knows, implementing what that information in, in, in society and trying to benefit from it. You're getting into a second level that is phase two, which I also like to talk about. And that is, it is my belief, my conviction, and I have a lot less confidence in this than I currently have in the disclosure process that I've just discussed. I think this has all been heading towards open contact with ETs. It's always been heading. And, and I know ancient aliens fans would probably say, come on, been open contact with ETs going back thousands of years. Okay. And no. I'm going, <laughs> okay. What when you say open else? contact, that could mean a variety of different, it could be, it could be just open extensive. Contact. Or limited. Extensive could cause huge problems. Well, let's go extensive, okay? There, okay. There probably has been extensive open contact going back a long time. But if the ETs were in extensive open contact with, say, the ancient Sumerians or some civilizations in Malaysia or whatever, that's kind of a big deal for them. Mm -hmm. But the implications for human civilization at the whole were pretty limited. Because humans just were limited. I mean, it's basically what they do is they made them gods and they deified them and maybe got some information. But what are they going to do? It wasn't like the ETs were going to come down and say, tell, take the ancient Egyptians, look, we're going to set up some schools here and we're going to teach you all how to build computers. It's going to be really cool. Okay. No. Fundamentally, it was a different thing, different time. So open contact could have happened. But that's not the kind of open contact we're not going to have at this time. This open contact is going to be between a spacefaring, fully global civilization with high technology in all areas of science and another spacefaring 
civilization or multiple space variants working in a concert. In other words, it's showtime. This is a wholly different matter. And so open contact this time around, they're not going to be made gods. We're not going to be made gods of them. We're not going to build giant pyramids to celebrate them or whatever the hell. No, that's not going to happen at all. They are going to be ETs. They're going to be extraterrestrials. They're going to be human sentients from other places. So they won't be gods. They're going to be, we're almost, in a sense, we are equals. In a sense. Okay. In certain ways. For instance, are we both sentient technological civilizations? Yes, we are. Okay. And I can go down the list. Okay. It looks like, based upon the contactee reports, do we all have one head, two arms, and two legs? Yeah. Pretty much that's the way it is. Okay. And so this is different. So open contact this time will be of a different type. And I think it's where this has been headed. The first truly open contact with the human civilizations since it became a global civilization and not just a group of civilizations that don't even know they exist in many cases and get around by camel. So I think it's two years. Disclosure this year, just open contact in two years. That makes it 2025. That'll be so interesting you say that. So again, John Ramirez, he talked about something big happening in 2027, whatever that is. Okay. Again, something big. I'm, I'll be more specific. Open contact in 2025. Put it down. You know, I actually placed some bets on disclosure with uh, some UK bookies a couple of times. I didn't win. But I think in the first one, I got something like a thousand to one odds, you know, and I was feeling pretty optimistic. And it's not that it couldn't happen sooner because there were some very optimal situations, but something would come along and crush it. Right. But I think I would have made like two hundred thousand dollars. I think right now. I heard that there is one bookie that's giving at least as of about three weeks ago, 51 odds, essentially that it would happen this year. Fifty to one. Not bad. I'm thinking about it, but money's tight. But the point is, yeah, is a two percent chance, two percent chance, two percent chance. So, open contact, two years out, 2025. Now, this is a whole different situation. This is another paradigm shift in a sense, but it's not as big as disclosure. It's almost anticlimactic. So if the ETs engage in open contact in 2025, but we've already known they were here for two years, I mean, it's, in that sense, not profound, but it opens up a whole new range of intellectual possibilities and other matters and broadens the engagement. It gets into things like it's going to get way much deeper into things like genetics, religion, AI, and so forth. It would almost save us from AI because I think we are about to go down a very dark path. I think there are human capabilities and human potential that we are not even, we haven't even scratched the surface, but they're all natural. And I think AI is going to start, we start going down that path, we're going to start limiting ourselves, even though it won't seem like we're limiting ourselves. Well, Sean, I don't want you to lose any sleep tonight, like me, but we're going down a whole lot of dark paths at the same time where it's like <laughs> we didn't, it, it's physically it's not possible but in, in other words if 
imagine if if there was like eight or nine dark paths that were existing side by side, like dimensions, you know, multi, we're going down all eight of them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we are screwed in so many ways. It's not even funny. AI is just the latest manifestation. It's now coming real predicted a long time ago. It was right. predicted by Isaac Asimov when he wrote iRobot, right? All the way back in God knows when. I love those books. No, no, no. We, we are out in front of our skis over our head. We Peter principled ourselves to the point where we are now at a place where we can't possibly succeed. And the consequences are going to be rather dire, which is one of the reasons why I believe all of this is coming to a head exactly when it is. All right. So potentially when it was always supposed to. Yeah, well, I'm not one of those guys, but the point is that things happen and then there's a reason they happen, but they're not preordained. And Sean, before I leave, I want your viewers to know that a major conference is coming up, Contact in the Desert. It's been around for a number of years, right? And it had to step back some during the pandemic as everything did, but now it's back. And it's going to, once again, be at Indian Wells Resort in the Renaissance there, southeast of Palm Springs. At this point, I think we're looking at maybe 2,000 people are going to attend, 60 speakers. I will have a lecture, I'll have a workshop, and then be I'm seeing the awards banquet, things like that. But it's a really good time to get together and get really excited and share these extraordinary things that are happening in Washington. And it's very possible. To be honest with you, there's a possibility there will be a, a hearing by the time that the, the uh, contact in the desert takes place on June 2 to 4. So if that happens, well, the energy level will be even well. Anyway, so I hope uh, as many of you as possible can get to Indian Wells and, and join us for contact in the desert June 2 to 4. Thanks. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh, yes.